Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone. Um, thank you for joining us on Why Shamanism Now this afternoon. I'd like to call in the spirits. I'd like to call out to our ancestors, to mine, to those of our guests, Ed Tick, and to everyone who is listening. May the ancestors be with us here today. It is on their bones that we stand. We call out to them to bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to us, that we might do uh, what is needed here today to say what needs to be heard and to bring to people the healing that they are seeking. We call out to the spirit of the earth, the most ancient ancestor, to be a firm foundation under our feet and to help us to feel that we belong, that we are a community of humanity here on this planet and this is our home. I call out to the spirit of the sky to be with us here today to bring us protection, that we are held well in this conversation and that we feel free to speak the truth. And I call out to the spirits of the sky to bring us blessing and benevolence and the generosity of our universe that we might know that we all live in an exquisitely beautiful place here together. And finally, I call out to the energy of the heart to be with us here today, the very special space of the heart that allows us to bring the passions of our true purpose together with the clarity of our mind that we might focus and in our lives live out our soul's true purpose. I call out to these energies to be with us here today that we might do good work. And I also call out to our guest, Ed Tick. Thank you, Ed, for joining us here today. I'm honored to be with you, Christina, and I could listen to you pray for the entire hour. Thank you for starting that. <laughs> Thank you. Our show topic today is one that is um, deeply moving for me, so I'll do my best not to just sit here and weep and try to be helpful in the conversation. But the, t the topic today is war and the soul, and what does it really take for us to show up for our, for our veterans and to help them to heal the particular wounds that come through the experience of war and the wounds that then travel from the warrior to the warrior's siblings and parents and children and loved ones and into the communities that hold these people and on until we recognize that this is simply a wound that humanity now shares. And I personally believe that we must step up to heal. And the beauty of today is we have Ed with us who can talk to us about how we could actually do that. <laughs> so, Ed, as we start today, could, could you just share for us, so here you are, you've gone through all your training, you're a psychologist and you're ready to jump out into the world and at this time, what, what's going on? Are the vets starting to come home? Are we in the war? What, what time frame is that? Well, I've been working with veterans for 30 years, so this is a long story and it has, uh, for me as well as for the veterans I work with, it has very particular aspects of the spiritual journey and, and shamanic initiation. So if I may just share a few highlights of that. Oh, please. Uh, I was, um, I'm not a veteran myself. I was in college protesting the war, the Vietnam War. We, By the way, every generation calls their war the war, hmm. which is a clue to healing as well. Yeah. World War II is called the war. Korea, Vietnam, now Iraq and Afghanistan is the war. Yeah. The war is 
the same in its essential conditions in all times and all places, and people are having an encounter with the underworld rather than history. If we keep it to history, we miss the larger spiritual journey people people are on. So I was in college during the Vietnam War. Um, My first year I had a student deferment, then they were done away with. Um, And I was... I continued protesting, but I was really in conflict about what to do. Um, I was working on my conscientious objective plea, and I was also thinking of enlisting as a medic because it seemed very, very wrong that some people went and others didn't. Totally wrong that morality and patriotism were being separated rather than one united effort. And in my fantasies, uh, serving as a medic might have put them back together. I could... Do my initiation, be by the side of my other my my peers, and also be working for healing. Um, as it turned out, I got a high lottery number and didn't have to serve at all, which felt even crazier. Mm. How can um, people grow up without rites of passage, without initiatory ordeals and experiences, and become strong, solid adult citizens? So I knew something was missing in me as well as in our uh, many things wounded our, in our entire country. I moved to a rural part of central New York State in 1975, the year the war ended, and I was a beginning psychotherapist then. Pretty soon, Vietnam vets began coming into my practice for a couple of reasons. One, I was the same age, and maybe they thought I would get it uh, a little more than perhaps older therapists. But the main reason was I was the only one willing to work with them in the region I lived Um, I felt heartbroken, I felt alienated, I knew there was this huge rift between vets and protesters, or vets and civilians both, and I wanted to, I didn't want that rift to remain, I wanted to heal it. So I began working with veterans a couple of years before post-traumatic stress disorder was even recognized as a modern diagnosis. Uh, Early in that work, um, actually for Christmas 1980, I wrote my first on vets. I was so upset by their suffering that I wrote an editorial for the regional newspaper on what a veteran's Christmas was like. Mm. After that, I was contacted by the post commander for our local Vietnam Veterans of America post. And in brief, it's a delicious story to tell in detail, but in brief, he drafted me. (laughs) He He wanted me to talk to his post about PTSD, which had just been recognized as a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I I said I wasn't worthy or ready because I'd only worked with three vets by then. He said, that makes you our regional expert. Nobody else will work with us at all. (laughs) And nobody asked me if I wanted to go to Vietnam. So I'm not asking you. I'm telling you, you're drafted. Well, that was um, the beginning of of this journey that has characterized most of my adult life and work. Yeah. Um, I was drafted, and under those conditions, I actually felt honored. I felt like it was a calling rather than an imposition, and I was had been looking for a way to help with the healing, and so this was a call to be a particular kind of healer. I'm going to flash forward. I worked as hard as I could giving the best individual and group therapy I knew how to give or anybody knew how to give at the time for about eight years before I became convinced that war was such a horrendous, soul-wounding experience 
causing holistic suffering, debility, and disorder to every level of our being. My, I have four books published. My most important and influential is called War and the Soul. Some of the reason is because it is the soul that is wounded, can be lost during warfare, and everything we've ever attributed to the soul, the way we think, what we feel, what our aesthetics, our morality, our will to live, our ability to affirm life, our realization that we are uh, um, trying to fulfill a destiny. All these things come from the soul, and all these things are severely wounded, distorted, or lost by war. I realized that by the mid-1980s and went in search of much more spiritually based and holistic means for healing our veterans. Uh, I went on a journey in 1987 to, to research the citizen warrior tradition of ancient Greece. I went on a solo pilgrimage to Greece. Um, I visited many spots that had been sacred to warriorhood. I studied the warrior traditions. That was all very important. But I also had some breakthrough spiritual and shamanic experiences that propelled me on this path um, as a spiritual healer and a shamanic practitioner that, that helped me discover um, cultural, spiritual, cross-cultural, and shamanic means for responding to war's wounds. Uh, and very briefly, or so it would take the whole hour to tell these stories, um, <laughs> One thing that happened is uh, I was given my totem animal on that journey um, three different times. One would have, it was um, an abs- was what we would call a miracle because it defies the laws of nature. I met a sea turtle on a mountaintop. How does a sea turtle get to a mountaintop? I won't even try to. Shamanically. That's, right. That's the, that's the answer. Um, that ended up meaning many things. It became my totem animal. I hadn't known that before. And uh, I was in Greece. It sent me back. I left the United States of America thinking about its wounds to its veterans. And the turtle told me, don't go back to the USA. Go back to Turtle Island. Mm. Study the ancient traditions of our own um, indigenous people and their shamanism, which I did have done ever since and have become initiated in in. Native American healing traditions. A uh, second thing that happened was uh, that I had, I attended uh, an ancient theater performance in the main healing sanctuary of ancient Greece, which was a Pitavros. Um, it was the main site of the healing god Asclepius. And I happened to be there just by, well, universal design, <laughs> what we call chance, right? Um, the opening night of the theater festival that year was The Trojan Women by Euripides, which is probably the greatest anti-war play ever written. I entered that theater thinking of myself as somebody still trying to help bring the troops back home from Vietnam. I saw in the play, again, a shamanic vision. The Trojan Women are the souls of the survivors of war crying out every dimension of their anguish, loss of husbands, of sons, of fathers, their city destroyed, being torn away from their homeland and sold off into slavery, losing their sisterhood, and still looking for strength of spirit to endure. I left that theater no longer thinking of myself as a therapist of Vietnam veterans, but rather I realized that healing from war must entail the movement into myth and world spirituality, living myth, 
and that I wasn't just trying to help American Vietnam vets heal, but in fact I was called to a path and a destiny as a war healer that I've been following ever since. So, Thank you. You're welcome, and my basic presentation is for any of us and all of us, war healing can be accomplished if we take it on as a spiritual journey that will have shamanism and initiatory ordeals and experiences along the way, including the experience of combat and its resolution. And this is what we're going to talk about this afternoon. Good. So we're coming into our first break, so I just want to let people know that Ed's book, War in the Soul, is widely available, right? I mean, anywhere you sell books, you can get it probably. If they don't have it, they'll order it for you easily, yes. Okay. And, um, and Ed, why don't you tell people um, how they can reach you, what, what your website is. My website is www.soldiersheart.net. Soldiers Heart is the name of my not-for-profit organization uh, that is an advocate and treatment um, agency for veterans and trains healers and communities in how to do holistic and spiritually based healing for our vets. Beautiful. And we'll be right back. Okay. Welcome back, everyone. I want to remind you all that the show is live, as a nice lady just did. You're welcome to call in or send email. And also, for those of you that don't know, the show will be available um, on the um, Voice America site by tomorrow for you to send an email to any vet or anyone related, connected in any way, needing to know the information we're talking about today, can get to the show tomorrow and listen listen to it at their own leisure. So please feel free to distribute the information far and wide. So we're back with Ed. And Ed, can you... Let's get into the nitty-gritty here about why the shamanic elements and the mythic elements allows you to work in ways that the other processes didn't allow you to work with the vets. Today, clinicians in the psychological and mental health and health professions are tend to be trained to be empirical, uh, quantitative research-oriented, provide the same uniform responses to any condition rather than look at it as an individual condition and expression of that individual and are certainly trained to steer away from spiritual matters and spiritual questions and not talk about things like soul or spirituality or morality. Uh, However, those are all ultimate concerns of, of all of us, and in particular, our ultimate concerns of anyone who has had military or war experiences, because the war experience is inherently um, and ironically a sacred experience. War is a sacred arena. When General Sherman said war is hell, he wasn't being metaphorical. War is our human recreation of the worst dimensions of hell of the underworld that we could possibly imagine, but we recreated it in reality. So anyone we send off to war or anyone, civilian or combatant, who survives war is literally a survivor of the journey to the underworld. Um, And these ultimate matters must be responded to with ultimate concerns. Shamanism gives us ultimate concerns and the tools for working with them. 
Shamanism accepts that, that we have a soul, that it's a living reality, that it can be damaged or lost or confused and needs to be recovered. Shamanism accepts that there are invisible, there are invisible realms and there are spiritual realms that we can access. People, having gone through war, often access them spontaneously, sometimes in helpful ways, often in painful and horrific ways. Nonetheless, they know there's an invisible realm. Shamanism teaches us how to connect with nature and even with the souls of the dead. And war is essentially the destruction of nature, and we are rendering many, many people dead. And so through shamanic practices, we can directly approach uh, and heal that, or help heal that which we harmed. Um, shamanism also teaches us of the archetypes, that there are stories built into the universe, um, most combatants, when they go off, aren't thinking that way, though some are. I'll quickly tell a story of an Iraq vet I worked with um, who, who did a full year's combat tour in Iraq. When he expressed, he volunteered for the Army, and he wanted to go to war. Asked why, his answer was, well, I thought when they were sending me to Iraq that I would be sent to a place like Gettysburg or Normandy Beach something great and heroic and important in human history. I, his exact words were, I always wanted to be a Hector defending the gates of Troy. Mm. And all they gave me was that dirty, blank, blank, little Iraq war. Hmm. I could not fulfill my call to warriorhood hmm. there. And so his trauma was not having gone to war, but having his ache, to become a warrior in an ancient noble tradition betrayed. Yeah, I was going to say the deep betrayal. Of, yeah. The betrayal right. of that agreement between the people and the warriors that if you go do this for us and protect our way of life, you will gain this from that experience. Right. And instead, It's a bomb deal if you don't get that out of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so very many of our troops, when we get to know them, we find out that many people are still called to the warrior's path. And the military uses it, in fact, to entice troops. So when we look at a Marine Corps recruiting advertisement that shows a handsome man in his dress uniform swinging a laser sword and chopping off the head of a dragon, well, on one level we know that's not factual. Um, but the deep level is that that calls to the warrior, to the spiritual warrior inside everyone, and lots of people still sign up for military service believing they will be able to fulfill the spiritual warrior's path, and they're looking to do that, and deep betrayal is when that contract, when, when the service people seek to fulfill that contract through contemporary service, and the military, the combat situations given, and the community uh, all fail to provide the that young person with the spiritual components he or she needs to really evolve into a spiritual warrior. Well, and, and, and they're, they're seeing these ads right at this time when, um, in, in their personal life, where they're beginning to feel the lack of having been initiated culturally, even from childhood to adulthood. So that need then kind of piggybacks on the whole possibility, you know, well, maybe I can get it through this warrior. Yes, that, right, that's accurate. We have almost no forms of meaningful initiation left. Whenever the topic of initiation comes up, people say, well, 
We have school graduation, getting a car, getting drunk, going into the military, or um, bar bat mitzvah and communion ceremonies left. All of those are true, and none of them work as, uh, generally speaking, none of them work as significant initiations because the entire community isn't involved. The spiritual component isn't really involved. People don't tend to have breakthrough spiritual experiences where they learn their protective spirits or talk to their ancestors in any of these events. Um, and there aren't wise elder guides initiating them. And there is a, uh, there may be significant ordeal like passing your high school classes or studying <laughs> for the Torah for a year, but pe- most people tend to feel like those ordeals fall short of the true life-challenging ordeals that are, bring a genuine initiation experience. And then we can also debate whether the circle of community we come back to are grown-ups themselves. Uh, that's right, right. In a, in a culture of um, primarily grown-up, um, overage teenagers, mm-hmm. there aren't many elders around who are guiding or affirming the initiation or helping people take their place. So now, let's I, apply I that directly to, to the war experience. Oh. We plunge veterans into, we take them out of civilian life. We transform their characters and personalities and values and behavior through boot camp and advanced training. We send them off to a war zone or another zone of service. That's the first half of the initiation experience. That is death and dismemberment. Then we leave them there and say, you're home now, it's over, go back to being a civilian. It's not possible. The initiation hasn't been completed because there hasn't been remembermint and rebirth. A new identity hasn't been formulated and... The tribe has, or community hasn't welcomed them home and given them a new status. So one way we can understand post-traumatic stress disorder is incomplete, interrupted initiation. And that's on us as the facilitators and civilian helpers to help the vets complete. And as I understand the current situation, these people are being called up to repeat that cycle over and over mm-hmm. and over. And right, over. back to hell again and again and again without ever having really returned from it the first time. And, and, and even, even so, the time frame given travel now is so quick to come back. I mean, at least in you know, World War II, you got stuck on a boat and you had time with your comrades to share the stories and to get home. Now you can get on a plane in your home in 24 hours. Yes. Um, the Navy has recognized that, and they're actually finally starting to bring their people home more slowly and having debriefing groups on uh, ships coming home. So there's a little bit of recognition of this. But um, your example of the speed of travel um, and, and the intensity of the technology of destruction that we have, all these mitigate against the soul being able to absorb and grow from the modern combat experiences. Of course, warriors used to travel together and travel slowly, and they would walk or be on horseback or be on ship taking a long time to get home and spontaneously forming their rap groups, their vet healing groups with each other and serving each other so that they would be somewhat discharged and some of the stories would be told before they even get to the village. And then when they do get to their villages or communities, people welcome them home and have significant rituals of healing in return. So the community knows the warriors serve them during threat, and now it's the community's turn to serve the warriors upon homecoming. We don't do any of those practices. Well, that's what I would like to talk about in the next section when we come back from this particular break, because it seems to me we have these 
warriors coming back, damaged, lost, confused in their own souls, potentially with some sort of confused relationships with the spirits of the dead, yes. and then potentially not really knowing what to do with the spirits that may have come to them as helping spirits in their time of need in war. I mean, if you don't know how to frame that, you could think they're not helpful. So it, it, it sounds right. to me enormously confusing. So let's sort that out in our next section. So welcome back, everyone. Um, we're talking this afternoon with Ed Tick about um, effectively healing the warrior wounds of our veterans and their loved ones. And we um, we were just talking about how um, there by not treating war and recognizing as an event occurring in the sacred arena, we are making an already damaging and confusing situation worse. So we were talking about how we have the warriors themselves who, through the experience of war, are dealing with soul confusion, soul damage, soul loss, soul woundedness. And then there's also, which can be a very confusing relationship between the living, surviving warrior and the spirits of the dead, either their dead comrades, the dead that they have killed, etc. So that's a confusion, and and how do you deal with that when these these spirits are visiting you every night in your dreams? Because there's a relationship, a sacred relationship here that's been forged, and no one ever told you about that. And then the other piece, which would be helpful, I think, if people could understand it, is that it is a sacred arena, it is a shamanic experience, and spirit help shows up. But if you don't expect your spirit help to come in the form it comes in, that may be confusing and, and traumatic as well. So um, I'm going to invite um, Ed to, to share with us now some stories about how healing really works, dealing with all this dynamic going on with the spirit world and the soul and gracious. <laughs> so um, why don't we start with why don't we start with some help, uh, something about how vets have dealt with helping spirits, how that shows up and how that might help or get sorted out. Well, there were, um, I have lots and lots of healing stories from the shamanic and spiritual traditions uh, that I could share. So I want our listeners to know that these aren't just a few or occasional stories, but they are, in fact, quite available. And many veterans will have had spontaneous shamanic experiences during or after combat um, and may not recognize it or may not feel comfortable talking about it until they meet somebody who knows how to do soul work. Um, so some of the secrets about war that are carried are actually spiritual visions and visitations. Uh, and here are a few. Uh, one World War II veteran I worked with um, was a good Jewish boy from Brooklyn who had no other spiritual tradition consciously before going off to World War II. He was on the front lines in the Battle of the Bulge, and uh, his company was planted in front waiting for the battle to start. He slept in his foxhole on the freezing ground the night before the battle, and he had a dream that night of a Native American elder warrior in full regalia coming to him and just spreading his arms over this soldier and what looked like the entire company. Mm. When he woke up from that dream in his foxhole, he said, I knew I was going to survive the battle and the war. I knew it 100% certainty. Mm. 
and I was able to go through the battle with with a modest instead of a crippling level of fear because I knew a spirit was watching over me. And in fact, as it turned out, his company was the only one on the front lines at the bulge of American forces to come through with no casualties and very few wounds, and they were only minor wounds. Wow. So this spirit was watching out for all of them. And this man had had no connection to the Native American tradition before. Just one example of spontaneous shamanic occurrence. Another one, a man in Vietnam uh, who, his first name was Pat, and he was the sergeant of his squad and was particularly respected and honored as a fierce little warrior. Well, Pat and his best friend, who were the two champions of their unit, spontaneously decorated themselves. They, they found some Vietnamese silk, and they made beautiful, colorful sashes that they hung from uh, the shoulder to the waist. And they wore them in battle, and they told their comrades, stay behind us. We'll protect you, and these sashes show that we're not afraid. We're the fierce warriors. We'll protect you. We'll stand up to the enemy. He had never heard of, until he told me this story, and I filled him in, he had never heard of the sash wearers among the Lakota warriors of the mm. plains. The sash wearers, there were also two in each warrior society, and they wore colorful sashes into battle and actually pinned themselves to the ground uh, during battle to show that they would not be moved and they would die rather than surrender. Yeah. So another spontaneous replication of uh, Native warrior tradition from somebody who had never heard of it. So there are spontaneous experiences that help people through combat. And, you know, it's interesting to me to hear this because one of the things I try to explain to people, because people want to see shamanism as religion because it's easier, Mm -hmm. but I personally believe that shamanism comes out of the earth and out of nature. And what what I hear in listening to those stories is how the spirit help that comes to these men is coming from the land they came from. Yes. You know, it's not yes. coming from their and their their culture, mm-hmm. but it's coming from the, the America, from Turtle right. Island. Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah, coming from the, the have... warrior history of that island. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, after Jung visited America, uh, and after he did so and was invited to describe what is an American, hmm. he said an American is somebody with a European ego the soul of black uh, African-American people, and the collective unconscious of Native Americans. <laughs> and with that combination and that historical combination, souls and spirits and spiritual presence are available through any of the traditions, but the deeper the better. The deepest one is from the land we live on. And one of these men was Jewish, the other Italian. Neither of them had known anything yeah. about the Native American tradition, but it knew them and came to help them during combat. So, Ed, we have a question that's come in via email from um, someone who lived through the hell associated with the World War II vet who brought the war home with him, and that he has done a lot of work to heal himself. He says, and this is his question, what can individuals do to help vets? Are there ways we can learn to offer or facilitate groups that could be helpful? Well, yes. Yes, first of all, to that veteran, thank you for your service. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you 
for allowing yourself to to be touched and wounded in, uh, in everybody's service. Now, secondly, he's demonstrating another aspect of the warrior tradition, and that is that um, the Marines have a saying, once a Marine, always a Marine. I was on Puerto Rico for my goddaughter's wedding, and I just happened to meet a man hanging out in one of their pretty little harbors who had a chain-link necklace on that obviously is a dog tag necklace, but he was under his shirt. And he was an elder man, and I pointed to it and said, oh, you're still wearing your dog tags. And he laughed and said, how did you know, and jangled them. And I said, well, I know dog tags. I'm a brother with vets. So he said, well, you have to be initiated to know this much, so I'll talk to you. So why are you still wearing your dog tags, sir? I asked. He was 75 years old. Mm. He was a Puerto Rican-American uh, Korean War combat veteran. And he said, once a warrior, always a warrior. I said, well, then how do you feel about these present wars? And he said, I hate them. They stink. I wish we'd never gone. But if the president ordered me to go tomorrow, I'd go because I'm still a warrior. And most importantly, I want to serve younger warriors and help them get through this. Mm -hmm. So a, warrior, a true warriors serve for life. And that's one of the things we need to restore. Forms of peaceful, life-giving service that warriors can perform best in our communities and our society. And this World War II vet who's writing in, asking this question, wants to continue to serve veterans. Mm -hmm. uh, so bless him, and he's evidencing the mature warrior's stance of being in service to war healing for the rest of his life. So we have with all that, there's we go so much that we can do. Um, he and community members can facilitate, can create gathering places in their communities for veterans, can facilitate, if he's not a therapist, he can still facilitate rap groups, talking circles, create a veteran speak-out events. Well, he actually has some shamanic training. Uh, so he's asking as a shaman? Or as well, a as a, with shamanic starting experience. shamanic studies. Shamanic studies, okay. So um, depending on how far they've gone, uh, his studies have gone, and if he has other trained facilitators with shamanic studies, people, we can... We can study and teach the, the shamanic dimensions of the warrior tradition. We can help people ask if they had spiritual breakthrough experiences during their times of service in combat or related to combat. We can help them uh, understand their dreams and have a shamanic response to dreams, such as if combat veterans are dreaming of the dead, it doesn't mean they have a psychopathology and the nightmares have to be squashed. But the shamanic interpretation is that those dead souls are still wandering and trying to reach the living who may have taken their lives and is responsible for them. And there are many shamanic practices where we can facilitate um, dialogues and relations with, with the dead wandering souls and actions on their behalf. So he, could, he or other shamanic facilitators can work on that. If they have any advanced more advanced experience or studies like uh, in Native American shamanism and if there are facilitators of sweat lodges or vision quest ceremonies to teach our vets no matter what their, their birth tradition is about the Native American paths and how to use them for purification and cleansing and achieving vision and transforming our identities to be able to carry the vision. All of those, can, any or all of those, 
kinds of experiences. Well, and I know for myself, as a practitioner, I would be happy to travel from group to group to group and do the soul retrieval work, but I would want those warriors in a circle for each other. You know, I wouldn't want to just do it willy-nilly, but I would want people like this person writing in to set up the space that holds that tradition in a sacred way and it gives them a, um, a community that's going to do that integration work. I mean, that's how I imagine it. And I actually do imagine doing that. So. <laughs> and that actually replicates the warrior societies of traditional cultures that warriors need in order to return and be held well. And on that thought, we are going to our last break, and we'll be back. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone. So we've already decided that we're just going to have to have Ed come back because there's just it's too important a topic and there's just too many different things that need to be talked about so that we can really understand how to be responsible to our vets and to this the community of humanity on the planet, frankly. So what we'd like to do now, though, is we're going to focus in on really working with how do we, we're going to answer the question basically in the email, which is how do we work effectively with the soul loss? which is at the root of the PTSD that warriors come home with. Um, so because soul retrieval is the piece that shamans do well, and it's not all that a warrior needs, and that's kind of what I'd want to talk about here with Ed, is I would love, as I was just saying, to be able to enter a circle of warriors and their healers who are already functioning in a process of their healing and to just do the soul retrieval work because what breaks my heart is these people, men and women, have already suffered enough and they have suffered on my behalf so that I could be free to walk the path I've walked to become a shamanic practitioner. And I have deep gratitude for that. And This would be a way to pay back. And They've suffered long enough, and there's no reason to keep waiting to get their soul parts back. There's a whole lot of other parts of the process that take time, but that piece, anyway, that's the piece I would love to be able to bring more readily to our vets. Well, I'll echo what you said in several ways. Um, Soul is the center of our experience, and our disorders and wounds radiate out from the soul into body, mind, and heart. And if we don't, and shamanism is the oldest healing tradition on the planet. As you well know, better than most of us, it's been all over the planet, and it's tens of thousands of years old. Uh, and, and the core of shamanism is recovering and restoring the soul. So if the soul does not get the healing and recovery it needs, then no matter how much else we do that is good and helpful and well-meaning, it's not going to take. I've worked with a number of vets who were very responsible about their healing and saw many different therapists and tried many different techniques and went back to college and changed wives two or three or four times (laughs) also to try to get it right. Um, And until they did their soul work, uh, successfully, the rest of the healing didn't coalesce. They still felt disordered, um, angry, agitated, and in one vet's words, there was my heart was still dark mm. until I got my soul back. Yeah. But when he got his soul back, and this particular veteran uh, came, he was a Vietnam veteran who went to Greece with me and then went to Vietnam with me. But his main shamanic healing was in Greece. Uh, we did ritual for him. 
in a, in a warrior's cemetery, and then we did the dream incubation for him, which is, for those who don't know the tradition, it's like vision questing except you're in your bed, wrapped up in sheets, um, fasting and praying and staying wrapped and isolated uh, until a dream or vision comes to you. And I um, think one of the beauties of having the shaman, as in the old days, step in to do the retrieval work for people is is the shaman will now go revisit the trauma and bring the soul back to the person instead of forcing the person who's already had the trauma to go into it again to find themselves. Uh, I'm going to say that I've experienced it working both ways mm-hmm. effectively. Sometimes, um, sometimes people do need to re- uh, experience the empowerment and also the catharsis that comes from revisiting the trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, can, if a person is strong enough and ready to do it, it can be very beneficial because as they bring their soul back, they're bringing reservoirs full of old pain, grief, fear with them, uh, and also old dreams. This veteran I'm referring to who had a significant soul retrieval experiences in Greece, during that night of incubation, he had an endless, nonstop series of combat nightmares. Mm. If, a, if the, with the wrong facilitator, somebody would have awakened him to stop his suffering and maybe given him meds to suppress the nightmares. Yeah. As it turns out, because we were doing shamanic practices uh, and there was enough of a community of support around him to see him through these 12 hours of hell, turned out that that was the last night in his life of having combat nightmares. Yeah. His by going through it again, and he was strong enough and ready to do it, but by going through it a second time, it's as if his soul vomited out the remaining combat poison and he finished yeah. that one night. Now he sleeps like a baby and teases me because he needs an alarm clock to get up. Right. Um, and this is the so, thing for me that's important is that, that the process is being held. It's not just a practitioner and a single vet. Yes. But that there is a community that is holding not just this recovery of the soul, but this whole process of integration, of cleansing, of release, uh, and, and, and is framing each part of this process in a sacred context, a mythic context, not a pathological context. Yes, absolutely. We have to return blessing and honor to the wound and consider it a sacred wound. All traditional cultures honored their warriors' wounds, even their war horses' wounds. Mm-hmm. We tell them to hide it and get back to being a pretend civilian, and that can't work. And you're absolutely right. Shamanism comes out of very, very tight, communally-based societies where everybody was involved in the healing. The shamans were especially trained and also recognized as especially sensitive and adapted traveling in the spirit world. So in some traditions, the shamans were not allowed to become warriors because they were not allowed to participate in the taking of life. They were uh, doing uh, work that was too sacred. In other traditions, people could be both shamans and warriors. Nonetheless, the shaman was always present, the returning warrior or other patient, and the community always gathered to take the individual into the heart of the village Warriors go to the edge of the village and surround the community in times of danger. It's the proper reciprocal relationship when the warriors come home to take them into the center of the village and for the rest of us to surround them and protect them. 
now that they've served us. And it, Ed, it seems to me that this is part of what you're offering through Soldier's Heart. So yes. let's give people the information again to connect with that work. So the website is? My website is www.soldiersheart.net. There's a lot of resources for how to guide healing, how to understand PTSD from the holistic or spiritual perspectives on there, a list of upcoming events. I travel all over the country uh, giving uh, training workshops, healing workshops, and retreats, and helping communities organize on behalf of our vets. So communities can, again, become those healing villages we're talking about. So thank you, everyone, and thank you, Ed, for being with us today. You've been listening to Ed Tech talking about healing the warrior's wound. His book, um, War and the Soul, is available widely. Um, So please uh, let your friends and neighbors and loved ones know about today's show if they need this help so that we can begin to do what we really need to be doing for our veterans of all the different wars. Thank you all very much for joining us today. We give thanks to the spirits of the land, of the earth, of the sky, to our ancestors, and the spirit of the heart that unites us all. Um, You know you can subscribe for e-cards. You can get more information on the website, which is um, lastmasscenter.org. Thank you, Ed. And we'll have Ed back. So don't worry, everyone. We'll have him back. Thank you, Ed. Thank you.